Good morning, Grace Chapel. If you have children, and if you are a child, um, between uh, preschool age and fifth grade, you can head over to the door to my right. Yeah, and you'll be well taken care of. Yeah, they want out of here. All right. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully none of you feel that way. Um, <clears throat> can you think of a time in your life when it, it seemed like your life was catastrophic? Things just weren't going well. Um, a moment when it really seemed like a severe outcome loomed in the not-too-distant future for you. I'm sure we've all been there. Maybe some of you are there even right now. But then you prayed, all right? Sometimes we, uh, we look at that as kind of flip, in a flippant kind of way. Yeah, you, you pray about it, okay? No. Then you prayed. You were drawn to God through prayer, and you invited others to join with you in prayer about whatever this catastrophe was, and God delivered you. Have you got those stories? Do you? Like, can you yeah, just, yep. Yeah. Somebody, like, family, you know, does <laughs> this, this happen? Is this real for you? You prayed and God delivered you. He saw you through it in, in some unbelievable way. He provided everything you needed to get through, and he, as we say, he made a way. You know, the path looked dim, but he made a way. He brought light. And you knew by faith that it wasn't a coincidence. Like, the stars just didn't align, and it sort of worked out. And isn't that amazing how that happened? And it was not your faith in yourself. You know, it wasn't kind of some self-help talk that you got. It wasn't your faith in anybody else or in anything else. But it was God who overcame for you. And you know that. Like, beyond a doubt, and now today, by faith, you often recount that, not just to yourself, but you tell others about it. Like, it's your story. And you tell others of this deliverance, about how God delivered you, how He saw you and walked you through, and it's just this characteristic about Himself, that story of deliverance that you share with others, and it's all for His glory and for his fame, and you do that often, right? You've got those stories? I've got those stories. And I just uh, re reminded of them. And, and now we're going through Daniel. We've gone through the first five chapters together. And in Daniel, what Daniel has been doing is he's been recounting, he's been recording down for all time and for all people how God displayed this delivering characteristic about himself over and over and over again. It's like a worn-out record. Those of you who remember records, right? It's a worn-out, I don't know, digital tape, I don't know. Well, back in chapter 2, God's demonstrated this ability, uh, specifically to protect his faithful children, no matter what catastrophic event could happen. It was huge, right? He saved uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from death by fire. I mean, it doesn't get much more catastrophic than that. And when we left Daniel last week at the end of chapter 5, another catastrophic event had happened. The province of Babylon where Daniel served, where he was both Daniel's protector and enslaver had been conquered by another country. And the king um, of Babylon uh, had just made Daniel the third highest ruler in the land, in the province, and he had just been dethroned and he was dead. History tells us that he was killed in battle. So where does that leave Daniel, right? 
Um, you, you've got a mess that follows any regime change. You know, Darius, the conqueror, the guy who's in charge now, would be cleaning the house, cleaning up government of all the old Babylonian rulers and leaders. He'd be taking care of things. But we read in the text as we get to chapter 6 that, that Darius knew talent when he saw it. And for all we know, do you remember last week, the handwriting on the wall? For all we know, when he marches in on that night, on that New Year's Eve night, the handwriting is still on the wall, right? It's there in the banquet hall. And no doubt Darius has told the story of this Daniel who interpreted the downfall that was going to occur that night. He probably went in there and looked at it and went, whoa, who is this guy? And we're told that he assigned Daniel to an important administrative post, um, under this new regime that he's setting up. And it's in, in verses 1 and 2, chapter 6. And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. He's organizing, he's doing a great administrative job. And over them, he put three high officials. And Daniel, I mean, this is, this is, this is like, what, you would expect this, right? As you're reading this, this book, you'd be like, yeah, Daniel's going to be in charge again. It's like crazy. And over them, uh, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give an account so that the king might not suffer loss. But wait, there's more. Sounds like a good commercial. Then this Daniel, out of these three, he became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps. It's, it's, I mean, God is amazing here. Because an excellent spirit was in him. Yeah. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. <laughs> It's like everything he touches turns to gold. So Daniel distinguished himself. And remember, by this time, we know from history that he's probably in his 80s, 80-year-old. 80 and Darius planned to promote him to what we would call probably like a prime minister of the whole province of Babylon. What happens when you and I, when anyone excels in this world system? I'll tell you what happens. Jealousy happens. That's guaranteed. Count on it. Take it to the bank. So they plot to destroy Daniel. Who is this guy? He's not even a Persian. He wasn't, he's not even a Babylonian. He's a Jew. How did he... What? Uh, verse 4. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not... I love this... this the way Daniel writes this, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault. If somebody wanted to dig up dirt on you or me, how hard would it be? I mean, these guys want him, right? These are powerful men, and they want Daniel. They're interviewing, they're going back through the databases. You know, they're finding a file. They got the file on Daniel. I mean, they can't find a parking ticket on this guy. Nothing. There's nothing. Why? Because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Whoa! How many would say that's you? <laughs> that's, a, that's a joke. Verse 5, Then these men said, We shall not find. I mean, this is, not going to happen. We're not going to find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And we learn, as we read, continue reading the text, that 
Um, it's the praying three times a day that every devout Jew would do, every Jewish male would do three times a day, morning, afternoon, evening. And, and when they're in Babylon, they would face towards Jerusalem to God. And that's what they pick up on. Okay, here's something. Then the, Verse 6, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king, and they said, they're going to butter Darius up, all right? So they go, Oh, King Darius, live forever. This is when you watch out when people start to give you these kinds of compliments. It's like, what do you want? What's going on here? And all the high, this is what they say, they say all the high officials of the kingdom, everybody who's important, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, the governors, we're all agreed about this king, so like, this is what we want. This is all about you. We love you, man. You should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petitions to any god or any man for 30 days, so it's going to be King Darius month, all right? It's going to be his month, 30 days. It's all you, nobody else, and you deserve it. Except to you, O king. And if they, do, if they mess up, oh, they'll be cast into the den of lions because they're hungry and they haven't eaten for a long time, so we need to feed them. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document, and let's, we want to remind you now how this all works, as if the king needs to be told this, right? It cannot be changed. Once you sign it, it's done, because that's according to the law of the Medes and Persians. When something's put in writing, it's a done deal. It's written in stone, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius, <laughs> he signed the document and the injunction. Yeah, 30 days for me. They used, look at this, they used Daniel's faithfulness and Darius's pride for their own devious advantage. If God wants something like this to happen to us, obviously it's probably not going to be a den alliance, but whatever. There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing any one of us can do about it except to continue just doing the right thing. That's the only option for a child of God. For follower of Jesus Christ. Just do the right thing. So the vain king gets sucked in. I mean, you see it coming, right? And as his enemies suspected, the law of the land did not keep Daniel from prioritizing the law of God. When Daniel knew, verse 10, that the document had been signed, it's a done deal, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper cha chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks. <laughs> Key phrase there. He gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He kept giving thanks to God for everything. And by the way, this true story makes me think. Does it does not make you think? and like point the finger back at yourself and kind of do a little examination. How many excuses, how much rationalizing would you and I go through in our mind if you were in Daniel's spot? Wouldn't you be thinking through like, how do I get out of this? Uh, aren't we pragmatists so often? The end justifies the means, like it's the end, it's the bottom line that matters, how you get there, I don't care. Just get to this bottom line. Hey, look, okay, it's only a month. Come on, really, it's 30 days and then I'm good. 
No harm, no foul. I've been doing this for years in my devotion to God, but God will understand it's only 30 days. And I bet you, you know, if he was here, he'd even support me. He'd even say, yeah, yeah, you got to do this because he's put me here. He's put me in this high-level position for a reason. He didn't put me here to throw it all away um, because of not continuing to pray um, physically, uh, not just in my mind, but just out in the open. He hasn't, he hasn't asked me to throw it all away. It's only 30 days. It won't hurt anybody, will it? I mean, really. I just will forego the formalities. I'll pray in my mind. That's what I'll do. I'll just pray in my mind, and I'll always pray. And I'll pray five times a day, you know, like in, in, in my mind. I'm still praying, right? I can't jeopardize such an advantage position where I can serve the glory of God. I mean, you, you, you've got, probably got things you want to add to that too. But in other words, what we're saying is this situation is too big for God to make a way. Oh, oh yeah, he's made a way in the past. He's done it for me. He's done it for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I can handle this one. I can do this. I just won't pray that way that they can see for 30 days. We know in Psalm um, 55, 17, that King David had made this a practice of his life. And by the time of Daniel, this had become a practice for all devout Jewish men. So the enemies, we read, barged in, and when Daniel's praying in his room like he always did, and then they go right and they snitch to uh, King Darius, the tattletales, and they reiterate first, before they tell him it was Daniel, they tell him, okay, like you signed the document, right? Remember? Yeah, yeah. So you know that it, you can't go back on it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, then they report Daniel's act of disobedience. And Darius feels duped. He looks stupid. And he knows it. Then the king, verse 14, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. He did everything he could. He pulled out all the laws and he said, is there a way to get around this? Because he's got this high regard for Daniel. And then these men came by agreement to the king, and they said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law. See, these guys are just like a broken record, right? It's just like they're, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't like these guys. I just don't. Sorry. I love them. I want to see them saved, but I don't like them. No, O king, it's a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction and ordinance that the king establishes can be charged. Change. No loopholes. And then the king commanded, after exhausting everything that he, all his legal counsel, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. But look at what God has already revealed about himself to King Darius in just this short period of time that he's known Daniel. The king declared to Daniel before he got thrown in. May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. He follows through. But here's another thing to note. After Darius did this, he had a, lasting, a passing 
uh, comment to, to Daniel as he, as he leaves. Then the king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him that typically would indulge in. And sleep fled from him. The guy is broken up over what's going down. Daniel's influence, Daniel's reputation reached the upper echelons of the power of the known world. The next morning at verse 19, then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God. The fact that he's talking out loud, right? On the other side of the stone, that he's got that kind of confidence and faith that, like, Daniel's dead inside, right? Torn apart by lions, eaten up. Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continue, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? It's amazing to me that he had this concept of God already, that he had this concept of the kind of power that Daniel's God possessed. And then Daniel says to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me. Why? Because I was found blameless before him and... Not just him, but guess what, king, before you. Oh, king, I have done no harm. Is this always the present life promise of deliverance for all of God's children? And all God's people said, no. Very good, yeah. Some of God's people said, no. Is our physical danger always answered by our being spared? No. Remember Stephen in the book of Acts? He's one of the first deacons. We're, we're voting on a deacon today, so just look out. He speaks the truth in church, in the assembly, and he's stoned to death. Remember Jesus, our Savior, in the garden, praying that the terror of that coming day might pass? Do you remember John the Baptist? Yeah, it ended really well. He had his head cut off. Many of the Old Testament prophets, and we can read the summary of their end in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, were facing the same kind of fate as Daniel. And they died. They were taken out. So, so not always. But what we take from texts like this is it's always about God's plan. It's always about His plan that we cannot understand. His ways are so beyond our ways. It's always about God's plan regarding this planet, the big picture of redemption. What he has planned for me, specifically. How I fit into God's plan for the redemption of this world. It could cost me my present life. It could cost me people who are very close and dear to me, who I love immensely. 
It's all about fulfilling God's plan of redemption. That's why we're here. That's why we are even able to worship Him this morning. Now, now eternally, uh, spiritually, we all get delivered from the wrath to come. There is no God's wrath coming my way because of my faith in Jesus Christ's death on the cross for my sin debt. It is finished. It is paid. We all get new resurrected bodies. How many of you want it like now? Yes, I'm with you. We all get to worship God forever, together. That's a guarantee. And then the king, verse 23, was exceedingly glad. There was much rejoicing. And he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him. Same statement that happened. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego taken out of the fiery furnace, examined. The smell of smoke wasn't even on them. Because he had trusted in his God. Because he had trusted in his God. This is what God wanted the Persians to see and know about him. This is what God wanted his children Israel to see and know about him. This is what God wants you and I to see and know about him. Trust. Nothing else. No one else. Trust. There is no other who is worthy of our trust. And what about justice, you ask? Well, let's read the rest of the story. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. Woohoo! Oh, I'm sorry, that's, that's not very nice. They get justice. But look at this. They, their children, and their wives. That's a hard part of Scripture. Yeah, and I did read it. We don't gloss over these areas. It's there. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. That's pretty intense, right? I don't care how hard-hearted you are. (laughs) That's pretty intense. The execution of these guys... Okay, I get it. The execution of their wives and children? It does seem, it doesn't seem, it seems really unfair and extremely cruel, right? But it reflects a principle that was common in that day of corporate solidarity. It's very common in the known world, maybe a little bit of it still in our world today, where one's actions are not done without repercussions on other people. What you do does matter to other people. I think it's a principle we need to understand. We need to meditate on it. We need to think about what we're doing. We, it's, it is not just about us. Oh, I'm not hurting anybody else by what I do. Yes, you are. Their destiny of these uh, wicked men contrasts sharply with what happens to Daniel. He prospered throughout the concurrent reigns of Darius and his superior Cyrus 
the great of Persia. So verse 28, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So, so this account in chapter 6, it's beginning to play, like I said, like a well-worn song. Like when you start reading it and you start seeing things happen, if you've been reading the first five chapters, you could almost write the ending yourself, right? You know what's going to happen because God's been doing it over and over and over again. Uh, the self-revelation of God to powerful men who at this time are ruling the world ends up eliciting the praise from these very proud men every chapter except for one. Listen to the pagan king's understanding, King Darius, about God and God's kids. Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the land. And you understand how this would happen. Men would go out with these written documents and they'd stand up in the public places and they'd read them out loud all across the province so everybody would hear this. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. What if that happened in the United States of America? For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. This is, this is a pagan king. He delivers and he rescues he works signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. You know, as you look through this book so far, there's, this, there's been this progression of praise coming from the mouths of men who are some of the most proud, powerful people on the planet during this time. And it's in chapter 2 through chapter 6. And it teaches us a lot. We as the children of God can learn something here because they speak about God in ways that some Christians are ashamed to speak about God in public. Look at chapter 2. Daniel praises God before Nebuchadnezzar as the source of all wisdom. Nebuchadnezzar picks up on it and pays homage to Daniel and gives praise to Daniel's God with he is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. Then you go to chapter 3, and Nebuchadnezzar, after witnessing the deliverance of Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, from the fiery furnace, he praises their God, and he prohibits any blasphemy from anyone against that God. And then you come to chapter 4, and Nebuchadnezzar, after his humiliation and his restoration back to power by God, he issues a formal announcement of praise throughout the kingdom, just like Darius is doing here, and calls Daniel's God the Most High God and the King of Heaven. And then you come to chapter 5 that we looked at last week with Belshazzar. It records no words of praise. Like this stops. Because actually chapter 5 is the more common chapter for the history of this planet. And the doomed Belshazzar is more impressed with Daniel's abilities than with the God that empowers him. So true. How can I use this to my benefit? How can I manipulate things? 
and get this God on my side. And then this morning in chapter 6, Darius the Mede, like Nebuchadnezzar, he issues the formal announcement of praise throughout the kingdom, and he praises the living God, but he goes one step further than Nebuchadnezzar, and he commands his people. He doesn't say, this is a good idea, this is how I feel. No, he said, this is what you do. Tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Tremble and fear. I don't know about you, but I desire the government leaders over me at all levels. The rulers of our present world to make this same kind of acknowledgement about God. I want that, don't you? Would you rise with me? And before we close out in worship and then move on to our annual meeting for membership, let's pray, not just for the leaders over us that they would know God, but let's pray about our lifestyle, our hearts, our attitudes, our bended knee before God in public, that we would be faithful like Daniel. Heavenly Father, we bow before you as your children saved by your grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we bow before you. We bow our head, we bow our heart because you alone are worthy of all our praise, all our adoration, our great, awesome creator and God, our redeemer. And Lord, we, we, we pray as a people that this city, this county, this state, this country would know you, would see you, that you would turn on the light in their hearts and in their minds to see your glory, see your power, and that, Lord, we, your people, would shine that light. Use us. Take our prayers, a sweet-smelling incense, before you. Answer our prayer, we pray. Heal our nation. And Lord, may we stand strong and faithful for you. And we pray it in Jesus Christ's most precious name. Amen. Mm-hmm.